Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So you might remember that uh, if you were with us last week, that we were talking about these folks uh, who were, um, they called Jerusalem their home, and then they were invaded by another uh, army who sent them into diaspora, meaning they were like taken to other places. A lot of them were taken to Babylon. And last week we talked about how King Cyrus gave permission for folks to return home. And so they kind of followed the Euphrates River and then down to the Jordan River and then found their way back to Jerusalem. And so our reading today is kind of like the beginning of the uh, um, homecoming for the Israelite people. Like folks kind of knowing that there's this land that is supposed to be associated with them, but that they've been violently separated from uh, for a while and now they're coming back to it. And what I love about this is uh, one of the first things that they did in Jerusalem was to celebrate the Festival of Booths, which is um, it's Sukkot, if any of you are familiar with the Jewish tradition. It's a, it's a festival where um, traditionally people would set up like an outdoor living space called a Sukkot or a sukkah, and uh, they would uh, sleep under the stars. And it, it's kind of like very celestial kind of connected and all of that. Um, There's a deep tradition that I'm not representing the entirety of, but um, what I love about it is thinking about all these folks who uh, are back in their kind of ancestral homeland and they are deciding to look up at the sky, to be in relationship with what's going on beyond them in the stars. And I just uh, learned from this community that like the stars tell us which prayers to say. <laughs> you know, like in, in this festival of Booth's time, they were up looking at the stars and they were like, now is the right time for us to say these types of prayers passed down through our people. And I think that's so beautiful because if we think about it, um, the stars are still telling us what, um, what prayers to say, even in the most like uh, uh, mainstream kind of thinking, like, when we are far, when North America is tilting away from the sun, we celebrate Christmas. And when North America is tilting towards the sun, or the Northern Hemisphere is tilting towards the sun, we celebrate Easter. And so we associate certain prayers and certain recognitions with what is going on beyond us. And of course, like, for people back then, that would have been extremely obvious. Like, no one would be like, like, questioning whether we should be looking up at the sky and telling what's going on because for every society pre-industrially like everyone was always looking at signs of the time like looking for weather patterns and stars looking at what the plants are doing and we're still kind of doing that but like in modernity in industrialization I feel like more and more we're ebbing away from reading what nature is telling us and kind of like creating our little little holes where uh, uh, time can go by without us really noticing. And so I love kind of this witness that is in Ezra of like, well, uh, what if we could step outside and nature could invite us into a certain type of prayer, a certain type of recognition of the planet? You know what I mean? Like, like in, I don't know, so there are some winters where, you know, we're in Minnesota over here at New City Church, okay? And like, sometimes it's like November and then I go inside and then it's February and I go outside and I'm like, did any time pass? Was it one day? Was it 10 days? Was it three 
thousand years? Unclear. Because I wasn't, because sometimes it's really easy for me to lose track of the signs of what's going on. And what I just love about this reading is like uh, uh, that there's a way for us to have a sacred prompting from nature. And this is, a, this is a really important reading, especially for folks who are in America, especially for folks in the, in the West, because um, a lot of time, the value of nature has been associated with simply what the nature, what we can extract from nature. And so it's not saying, you know, like, uh, plants aren't valuable because they tell us when to pray. Plants are valuable because of what we can get from them. Or land is invaluable, or the sky is invaluable until we can monetize and commodify it. This is kind of the legacy of, of our, the West, and it's helpful for us to be thinking through, like, what if land has value beyond its fertility? Like, what if land is valuable beyond what real estate markets can say is worth it? What if land can tell us something that is not only beyond money, but is so sacred that we need to hear it in order to be full human beings? What if God created land and people to be in relationship always, and when we sever that relationship, something dear and sacred is lost? And so uh, this is something that I think about a lot, uh, and, I, and I have thought about a lot my entire um, kind of formation as a Christian, because I've always really cared about nature. Um, growing up as a, a gay kid in a Republican town, I just remember being able to go out to forests and do it. Yeah, some queers are nodding. So like being able to go out to nature and be like, I'm queer, and this tree doesn't care that I'm queer. Look at this, like I can even go to this tree and be like, hey, I'm super gay. And that tree is like, okay. You know, like it's like, like they're, that tree is fine. That tree doesn't mind at all. And, uh, and I can go out to this prairie and I can share my prayers and my concerns and my hearts and my longing. And I can talk about what it's like to be a 10 year old. And, and this prairie receives that, it absorbs that and responds with love. Like I've always had a spiritual relationship with nature, especially as a queer person, not despite being a queer person. And so of course, when I get to seminary, um, this is an area of focus that is particularly important to me. And so um, yada, 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 I'm in a class, cut to me writing a paper titled an eco-queer Bible reading. An eco-queer Bible reading. Because when you're in academia, you can say things that don't make sense to people, and it's still okay. You know, just go down to Lake Street and be like, who wants to talk about an eco-queer Bible reading? Yeah, no, but uh, so I was, here I am in seminary, and I'm like starting to think a little bit more critically about this, and I'm realizing that some of the wounds that I carry and some of the wounds that the land carry have to are related to each other. <laughs> and uh, and I, I was brought back to memories of, um, you know, uh, being in conversations with people who said things, and trigger warning here, uh, so who said things like, being gay can't be real because God made people to reproduce. You know, like this is like the Adam and, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve uh, argument, where it's like, well, obviously men and women reproduce, and men and men or women and women can't reproduce in that same way, and so like, that means that God didn't intend it. That's the logic, that, that a human being is worth only what they can reproduce, and that a human being should only have value if they're capable of reproducing, is the logic of that argument. 
And I just started to uh, reflect a little bit more and pray a little bit more with trees and rivers and prairies. And I realized that uh, uh, our suffering is bonded together because the same people who said that land is only as valuable as what it can produce are the same people who say that people are only as valuable as what they can reproduce. That there's kind of this like logic of um, productionist value that you're only worth what you can produce. This is like capitalism 101, right? Like you're only worth what you can produce and you're monetized and objectified for that. And so land is invaluable if you can't get something from it and people aren't valuable unless you can get something from it. And here I am in seminary realizing like this is a deep sin of the American theology. This is, this is like a deep wound of American theology that we have to heal in order to be able to move forward. Like we have to be able to reclaim that there is value beyond what someone or something can produce. Have any of you ever been to the Badlands in, uh, Badlands in South Dakota? Yeah, so gorgeous, right? Like I, um, so imagine these rocks that are just streaked with different colors as if someone dragged their hand with paint over the rocks. And um, it's gorgeous and I love the Badlands, but the Badlands are called bad lands because they can't produce food. There's not fertile soil there. And so the colonizers said, these are bad lands and also put Native Americans there, uh, and said, we want the good lands which can produce, uh, uh, you know, yield food. And meanwhile, the Badlands have continued to be one of the spiritual stronghold landmarks of our country because of how bad it is. That somehow, like, God shows up in a particular way, in a special, unique way that can't be found in the farms, in these bad lands, and there God is. And it's almost as if God shows up in places that aren't producing monetized value to the society. <laughs> so here we have to learn from the land the concept of intrinsic value the idea that there are some things that are valuable regardless of what they can produce or not produce. That some things are intrinsically sacred regardless of how they fit into our current economic scheme. And that those things are worth protecting. And so in this Pride Month, we can start thinking about what is worth protecting that can't be monetized. And how will we go about protecting that? How will we as a community name and claim the value that non-producing living things bring to the world? I was reading, um, there's an Anishinaabe author named Mary Genius who published a book through the University of Minnesota. And she was talking about how um, even the rocks are our relatives. Even the rocks are actually some of our oldest relatives and that they have some of the most important stories to share with us because they've been around the longest. <gasps> have you ever heard someone dignify and name the intrinsic value of a rock before? <laughs> like this is the power of being able to recognize that God blesses certain things and, and those things might not be profitable, but they are P-R-O-P-H-E-T, profitable. To, under, to show us what it means to be a human, what it means to be alive, what it means to be whole. And if we can't protect even those things, then all of us have lost.
You know, sometimes uh, uh, people hear about theology like this and they're like, you know, th uh, they characterize it as uh, cheap grace or kind of lazy religion where they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if everything is holy and everything is sacred, then like there's no work to be done because it's just like, yeah, everything's good, everything's sacred, I'm gonna go live my life. And, and people criticize this saying like, where is the sacrifice required? Where is the uh, uh, discipline? Where is the rhythm of life that will transform people in this? Um, sometimes people say that it's lazy religion, but I just want to name that it is not lazy religion to recognize intrinsic value of things. It's not lazy to notice that everything that God has made is sacred and to treat it as if it was sacred. In fact, it's the opposite. Truly, this will cost everything. Because once our prayers are passionate enough that we recognize that everything God created is sacred, then we're going to have to start changing some things. Suddenly we might realize that pipelines are not compatible with an ethic of intrinsic value. Suddenly we're going to have to start treating our toxic workplace a little bit differently when we realize that no one is cancelable well, that we can't treat people like they're objects even if they mistreat us. We can create boundaries, but we can't objectify them. We start to realize that our politicians have a lot more at stake than simply legislation because there's sacred value on the line. We realize that our urban structure, our city planning, how we relate to cars, how we relate to social media, whatever the heck artificial intelligence is going to come up with in the next month, like all of this has to revolve around the intrinsic value that God imbued in all things, whether or not they're producing, whether or not they're worthwhile. This month we are in Pride Month when we remember that folks started a riot to defend the intrinsic value of queer lives when no one else was recognizing it. It took a riot for people to start this movement uh, that sparked across the country saying like, there is something here, even if there, we're not fitting into a nuclear family uh, arrangement. Like there is something sacred about queerness, even if we're not creating like a mom and a dad, two and a half kids and a dog and a white picket fence. Like there's something that God is saying through queer people that must be heard by society or all of us will spiritually die. Like there, this is the gift of pride that we can say that like there are different types of currency that are not being recognized right now and there are currencies way beyond dollars and cents, that there's a sacred, righteous, holy and whole currency that reminds us that God is a God of liberation and that all things are moving towards God's will and towards healing and wholeness. You know what I mean? Like there's a... Um, it, there's, a there's a sacrifice that comes with recognizing intrinsic value there's a responsibility and discipline that comes with it. Just like America had to sacrifice so much to start recognizing LGBTQ rights, we had to sacrifice the concept of family to evolve into something that is better. We had to sacrifice the concept of uh, marriage as a man and a woman to evolve to something that is more aligned with God's will. 
We had to sacrifice legal systems and who gets hospital visitations and tax rights in order to evolve into something that God, that is more aligned with God, what God wants. And the challenge for us now is to not like sit on our laurels and think like, oh, I'm so good or like uh, I'm part of this liberation movement or I'm on the right side of history and therefore I don't need to show up to the fight anymore. The challenge for us right now is to recognize the intrinsic value so deeply and profoundly that we can make as revolutionary of shifts as Martha P. Johnson did during the Stonewall riots. Like we, we are tasked with being as uh, uh, um, committed to the intrinsic value of that which is not recognized as the revolutionaries who have gone before us. And when we do that, I just can't help but think that God is looking at, down at us from the stars, saying, this is exactly the type of prayer that I desire. Amen. Amen.